0: Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. Well, here we are. We are uh, in Apostles' Creed, and we are trucking our way through. I think we're almost halfway through it all, and we are on this topic of Jesus coming uh, to judge, and it's a pretty tricky topic. So let me just pray real quick that God would be with us and would help us understand his word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would send your spirit, illuminate your word, soften our hearts to hear it, and be with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if we've been paying attention to any uh, media platform uh, in 2020, we live in a time when when justice is a really important issue. It's a really important uh, concept. Uh, We saw uh, protests going on, and one of the, the chants that you would hear is no justice, no peace. We heard this on, in, in reaction to extreme police brutality, violence that was on display, even murder on display for videos uh, for the entire world to see, right? And so rightly, there was outrage over this. Uh, there was calls for justice, for reform at every single level of government. There was a sobering performance, someone who might be joking about airplane food normally, a stand-up comedian. Uh, he he did a very different kind of performance. He he did an outdoor performance, this man named Dave Chappelle, who many of you guys probably know. Um, and he he did a very somber performance in the wake of George Floyd's killing. And yeah. early on in his... Uh, stand-up, if you could call it that. It was more just a, a man reflecting. He said this. He said this in response to anyone who criticized the protests that were going on. He says, What are you signifying that you can kneel on a man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds and feel like you wouldn't get the wrath of God? There's a, there's a visceral reaction that we have righteous anger that we have in response to these kinds of things. And it's right. Dave Chappelle likens it to the wrath of God. His instinct is right. Yeah. How can someone do something like that and not expect consequences? Even God's wrath. But The, the, the funny thing is, I think, ironically... In certain Christian circles, the wrath of God or the idea of God coming to judge is exactly the thing that we've done away with. It's seen as revolting, it's seen as rejected, as antiquated. Uh, uh, so, So what we do, we expect and even demand justice from our government, our law enforcement, our justice system, private and public leaders and institutions. Yet when it comes to theology, yet when it comes to uh, the Bible and what we believe about God, we're revolted by this thought of a just and vengeful God. And instead we expect and demand only love, only mercy, only peace, only prosperity from Him. I think this is a deep irony in America today, and especially in our church today. Uh, so in essence, we have relegated the notion of justice to the human sphere alone and we've left God out of it. And what we're left with is an unjust society where we all have this existential sense of duty to bring justice on our own. But we have very little progress that's being made towards that end and we're sometimes brought to the edge of despair of resorting in violence or abandonment of the cause altogether and apathy. But what if our cries for justice, what if our cries for um, something to be done in light of the injustice in the world, what if they were given to us by God himself? What if those things were innate in us because that's the way human beings were created? And furthermore, what if the best resources to fight just injustice here on this earth actually are found in a theology where God comes to judge. And what if our instinct and our hope that one day there will be justice in a perfect way, what if that's correct? And what if that actually one day will be satisfied? That idea has been the belief of Christians. For centuries ever since Christ walked the earth they have believed that Jesus would come back one day and bring judgment now this is not an easy doctrine to discuss Uh, there is a grave warning in it there's a seriousness to it but it is vitally important for us to hear and understand in the end for Christians There's a great comfort and even joy that comes from a right belief in Jesus coming to to one day judge the living and the dead. So how are we going to proceed? First, we're going to look at what do we mean by that, that Jesus is enthroned in heaven and coming again to judge. And second, we're going to look at what does that mean for us? Okay, how do we interpret that? How do we apply it? to ourselves. So just to remind you, our line from the Apostles' Creed says, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. So let's break it down into two parts. First, Jesus is now enthroned, and second, Jesus is coming to judge. Jesus is now enthroned. Sort of a, um, a framework that we've been using to understand uh, the life and the work of Jesus is the the uh passage in Philippians two five through eleven it's called the Christ Hymn, and the first part is talking about his condescension, how he how he humbled himself he though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself and he came and be- he became a servant, and he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross and then in verse nine there's a turn, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we say that Jesus is enthroned, that's what we're talking about. He's been exalted to the place where God is. Have you ever wondered, uh, you know, Jesus was resurrected and he walked around the earth and he showed up to a lot of people, but what happened next? You know, did he, did he die again or, you know, did he, is he still alive today? Maybe we know from scripture that he ascended, as we talked about last week, he ascended into heaven and he's with God, but not just anywhere in the heavenly realm. He's at the right hand of God, the father almighty. Now you probably heard this, this, uh, phrase, my right hand man. What that meant in ancient times is if you were at the right hand of the throne of the king or the emperor, you had um, the highest station, you had the highest seat of power in all the land. So Jesus seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty means he's been given power over all creation. There is nothing that he doesn't have power over. And one day, all of that creation, all humans, all that has been created by God will bow their knee to acknowledge Jesus's power and authority. Well, how did Jesus get to this place? Jesus perfectly obeyed the commands of God. No one else did. And no one else ever will. He is worthy to be exalted and enthroned in that place. Furthermore, he satisfied the justice of God on the cross. He brought reconciliation for us, and no one else could do this. He was the only one. He was also the spotless lamb. He was sacrificed on our behalf so that no further sacrifices will be necessary. Because of this, he earned that place where we can say, Jesus is holy, holy, holy. He is worthy of all power and dominion. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, if you have power, what do you do with it? Well, for Jesus, it means that he gets all the glory, all the honor. But what does he do with it? He intercedes for us. It means he's, he's praying for us. He's thinking about us. And what is he saying? He's saying, I died for them. And on the basis of my sacrifice, forgive them. On the basis of my sacrifice, uh, heal them. On the basis of my sacrifice, help them. He is interceding for us now. And as that interceding goes on and on, one day you will have the role of judge over all persons and angels. And no one else has this right it's important for us to say that um, who has the right to judge? Well, someone who is omniscient, someone who is above all. And who is this? It's Jesus. Jesus has the right to judge. No one judges him. So, what we're saying is that Jesus is coming to judge. And I want you to stop and think about what I just said. Often we think of God the Father as the one who's kind of kind of angry. You know, he's going to bring justice. He's the one who has wrath. He's the one who punishes. And Jesus is this gentle, loving, humble. These are false ideas. These are false characterizations. In John 9.39, and I'm beginning the quote, it's a Jesus said, that's part of the quote in John 9.39. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world. Now, there's really good news, and we're going to get to that later, because Jesus is loving, and he is merciful, and he's also judge. He has the authority to judge because he's ascended to the highest place, um, and he's been given this task by his Father. What we are saying is that there will be one day. It hasn't come yet, but it will come that all dead will be resurrected, and all humans who are living at the time will stand before Jesus to be judged. And those found in Christ, in other words, those who, who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus will be brought into glory, they'll be brought into the presence of God. And they'll be found righteous, not on their own merit, but by faith, by the merit of Jesus alone. And those who are found that are not in Christ will be judged on their own merit. And if Romans 3.23 is true that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then they will be found unrighteous and will be cast out. Jesus, the same one who came down to earth, who incurred the judgment of God on himself, for his people is coming to judge it's important to keep both of those things together both of those things are true what does this mean for you and me there's both comfort and joy warning and opportunity let's start with comfort and joy let's start with comfort there's comfort in the past present and future past. Some have said that judgment is good news for the oppressed. Oh, this is so true. This is so true. If you have been uh, wronged, if you've been the victim of injustice, if someone has unjustly um, or untimely been taken away from you, uh, if you've suffered from sickness or suffered because of other people sinning against you, Jesus knows. He knows. He sees it all. He's not forgotten that pain. He's not forgotten. And it's his plan to make it all right. All of it. And what this means is that those things that have happened to us in the past, maybe there's something right now that you're thinking of that you just can't forgive that person for. You know, when you think about it, maybe you you just can't forgive yourself. And, and maybe you're ashamed to even admit that because it seems so unchristian. It seems so, um, man, but Christians are supposed to forgive, right? What is, what is my problem? Well, to understand that Jesus is coming to judge, it means that God will take care of it. Jesus is going to take care of it. We ourselves may have clouded judgment. We may not be able to even go back there and think about it because it's too painful. Well, Jesus knows what happened, and he is going to make that okay. There will be justice in the end for you, is what I'm saying. Your hurt matters to Jesus. And maybe that's what you needed to tip the needle just a little further to forgive. And at the very least, it provides justification to say it doesn't downplay my hurt to forgive see what i'm saying because of god coming to judge we can forgive he's going to do it he's taking care of it we don't need to take care of it ourselves and that gives us the opportunity to forgive it means i can give it up to god okay that's our past What about our present? I never really thought about this line in this famous hymn, Amazing Grace by, um, by Newton. Isaac, I believe, not John. Maybe I got it reversed. Anyway, somebody can correct me. This one line, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." It's doing some cool stuff here. Fear. You and I have a lot to be afraid of right now. Uh, stopping to enumerate the things that you're afraid of might be just too overwhelming. And to think of Jesus or God coming to judge might just be like, ah, that's too much. I, I, I can't handle one more thing to be worried about, to be anxious about. But let's stop and think about this line. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. What if fearing God having reverence and honor and bowing down to Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, actually does something to dispel all other fears. If we appreciate and have reverence and awe for God as judge, I think this is one thing it can do in our lives. For Newton, it meant that his fear of God meant that he didn't have to fear anything or anyone else, right? If you fear the one who is above all and powerful overall, then we have nothing to fear. Like it says in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? To me, that gives me courage. That dispels grace my fears relieved, Right? So judgment gives us comfort in our present fears. It also gives us uh, comfort in that it gives us a future hope that embraces nonviolence and relinquishes vengeance. Now, um, I spent some time in a country that had, in the nineties, been through war, and so a lot of the people I was spending time with, um, their earliest memories were of their family dying, uh, their city being burned. And just horrible, horrible things. And I had obviously never, uh, growing up in, in a suburb of Georgia, never encountered anything like that. And what they would say is, You Americans really like to talk about the love of God. But they're like, You know what's really cool though? You know what's really encouraging and comforting to me? So that God is a God of justice and God will bring judgment on evil. Totally blew my mind, right? Here I am from a different culture thinking I have so much to offer. Here I am learning so much. There's a guy named Miroslav Volf. He's Croatian. He lived really close to where I was. He talked to people who experienced the same war. And he said this. He's a Yale professor. This book, Exclusion and Embrace, is all about this idea of forgiveness and justice. And I'm going to read it. It's a little bit of a long quote, but it's so good. The practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. My thesis will be unpopular with many in the West, but imagine speaking to people as I have whose cities and villages have been first plundered, then burned and leveled to the ground, whose daughters and sisters have been raped, whose fathers and brothers have had their throats slit. Your point to them, we should not retaliate? Why not? I say the only means of prohibiting violence by us is to insist that violence is only legitimate when it comes from god violence thrives today secretly nourished by the belief that god refuses to take the sword it takes the quiet of a suburb for the birth of a thesis that human nonviolence is a result of a god who refuses to judge in a scorched land soaked in the blood of the innocent the idea will invariably die, like other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end of violence, that God would not be worthy of our worship. This is a great comfort for our future. The judgment of God is good news for the oppressed. But it's also a reason for joy. Psalm 98, as Sav read. The entire psalm is about making a joyful noise to the Lord. He's asking all of creation. You know, he's like talking about inanimate objects, raising their voices, clapping their hands to praise God. And as far as I remember, the only thing that it gives as a reason for that praise is at the very end. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. What joy can we have when we think of all that is wrong in the world, all the injustice in the world, and know that God is going to take care of it. God is going to one day come and judge with righteousness, perfectly, with equity. This is good news. There's also warning and opportunity. I think this is rather obvious, and you're probably surprised I haven't talked about this yet, but it's warning to evildoers, to those that that break the commands of God. The coming judgment of God is a grave warning that should be taken very seriously. In Revelation 19, we have a a prophecy um, that has not been fulfilled. The Bible is full of prophecies that have been fulfilled. In Revelation, we have a lot that have not this is in the future, and it's a vision. There's a lot of metaphor and symbolism in it. It says this in Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. From his mouth come a sharp sword, which with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. This is Jesus, the rider on the white horse. He is coming to judge. We should take heed of this warning. And if you're an earshot of this, and anyone who reads the words of God, they have an opportunity, right? If you've heard the warning, you have an opportunity to get safe, right? If you've heard the warning of the hurricane, you have the opportunity to leave. If you've heard the warning of the tornado, you can get to safety. You have the opportunity now to repent. I think uh, Christians were often ashamed of the judgment to come because it's so often, it's used in a way that's a bludgeon. It's used in a way that's hypocritical. It's used in a way that's obnoxious and maybe even abusive. But the warning of coming judgment means there's still opportunity. There's still time to repent. This means there is much, much grace in these words. How Jesus began his ministry was repent and believe the gospel. It means if you, you hear this and you pay attention and you repent, you will be spared. You will not be punished. If God is for us, who can be against us? You'll be brought into the kingdom for eternal joy with God forever. Amen. In the Apostles' Creed, what you're going to notice, we're going to transition from events of the past, things that have happened in the past, creation, incarnation, redemption, ascension, and we're going to move to the present. We're going to move to the future. These realities and events that are ahead of us even in 2020. So we really need to pay attention. This really matters and is really relevant to us. The story of God's saving, it's an ongoing story. We know the ending. We're still waiting for it to come to pass. So we have this question before us. Where are you at? Do you need to believe and persevere, keep waiting and keep hoping? Or do you need to repent and believe? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we Just ask that you would fill us with a deeper understanding of your truth, that it would give us comfort and joy. Lord, that we would take heed of the warning that we have in your word, um, that we would believe in the God who sent his son to save us. Lord, we um, thank you for this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.